Revelation chapter 3, and we are actually on our sixth stop on our tour of churches in Asia. We have now reached Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia and the church that was there and located in that particular city. And uh, we've used these weeks to teach on a series we've entitled, What Would Jesus Say? Because all of these words that we've been reading in Revelation 2 and 3 are from the mouth of our Lord, directed to specific churches. And we have been using that as a springboard to talk about what he might say to us today. And while no one local church would embody all of what he has said, or perhaps even one of the cities that he speaks to here. There are some uh, precepts, there are admonitions, there are some other things that he mentions that are good for any church to listen to. You know, you know we may not be uh, the church at Sardis, which I talked about last week, which was dead, just dead as a doornail. Um, we may not be Sardis, but it's good to hear about Sardis in order that we don't become Sardis. So even if it doesn't specifically apply to a situation we are at individually or corporately, that's not to say it's not good to review it to make sure we don't get into that situation. And so uh, we reached Philadelphia, and praise God, Philadelphia was a great church. In fact, it was one of two churches that Jesus had absolutely nothing to say but commendation. And uh, so we get to talk about a little bit more happy scenario than what we had to deal with last week. And uh, Philadelphia literally means a brotherly love. Some have translated it the city of brotherly love. But uh, it didn't come because of the nature of the city. There was actually a founder whose name was Philadelphus. And uh, Philadelphus founded the city and they named it after him. And they were faithful and they were true. And uh, they were only one, as I mentioned, of two churches that Jesus commends, and so we want to hear what they were doing right and what we can glean from that so we can be a church commended by the Lord as well. And if you'll turn to Revelation 3, I'm going to begin reading with verse 7. And I've entitled our lesson or our message this morning, Unlocking the Door to Your Future. Unlocking the Door to Your Future. How many of you realize today you got a future in God? A good future, Jeremiah 29, 11. That's my wife's favorite passage. She quotes it often. That God has a future and a plan for each one of you. It's not his heart that you be destroyed. It's not his heart that somehow you be found in a ditch. But his heart is that you walk in his good will and enjoy his good future. He has one for you. But in order to walk into that good future, you've got to go through some open doors. And you need to understand how those doors open and how they're closed and how they can be unlocked. And so that's what we're going to learn from the Church of Philadelphia today. Revelation 3, verse 7. Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David. You might want to underline that if you like underlining. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts, and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, 
who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Isn't that a great passage? He's saying all those that are running around smearing your reputation, he says, I'm going to bring them back. And they're going to worship God. Verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And again, our message is unlocking the door to your future. This particular portion in the book of the Revelation actually is somewhat like what the Lord spoke in the book of Isaiah. You might want to uh, keep your fingers nimble this morning. I'm going to read to you several passages of Scripture just so you can see it with your eyes and believe that I'm not just pulling it out of thin air. But in Isaiah 22, verse 22, this is what we read. It says, The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open and no one shall shut, And he shall shut, and no one shall open. And this particular passage, along with the Revelation, is used to reference this concept that you will oftentimes hear, not just from me, but from other people as well, that God opens doors, and he closes doors. And the application and the interpretation is relatively simple. And that is is that God comes to each of our lives, the Lord will come to our life, And as we're seeking him and as we're wanting to do his will and as we're wanting to walk in his ways, he will open doors for us that we can walk through in order that we can receive and enjoy and benefit from his goodwill. And there are also times he will close doors in our life and circumstance in order to keep us out of detrimental situations or detours that would keep us out of what he ultimately plans and the swiftness that he would like to bring it to us. Now, for me, open and closed doors answer a lot of questions I have about how God leads his people in a very practical way. I've talked with people all through the years and they will have questions. How does God lead me? How does does the Lord make his will known to me? How do I know if this is the way or the will of God? Well, the concept of open and closed doors in in just an everyday, ordinary believer's life can answer a lot of those questions. And I believe, oftentimes, that's how he works most prevalently in all of our life. I don't know about you, but I've not had God speak in gigantic, audible voices, split the sky, send a dove to sit on my shoulder, or do these kinds of things to lead me. I've had inner impressions. I've I've had what I felt were, were leadings out of those impressions. There have been times, I I can't say it was an audible voice, but at least within my spirit and within my mind, I felt like I was hearing God say some things to me that I needed to do, needed to obey, perhaps even needed to avoid. But most of my life I have found that what God does is, as I pray about things and I lift it to the Lord, is that he creates scenarios around me and situations and circumstances around me 
that begin to speak to me in such a way that provide either an open door or a closed door to that which he wants to do in my life. I believe you'll find that to be true in your life as well. Now, I want to show you something. These are all great verses to remember, to underline, and to just keep at the forefront of your thinking as you're trying to understand where God is leading you and how God is leading you. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says this. This is a great verse I quote often. It says, for we, that means all of us that believe in Jesus, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has created some things out there already for you and for me. There are things right now out there that are either being orchestrated, they're they're being put together. He's weaving it all into his fabric of, of his will for your life. Or maybe it's already established, but it's out there. And what he wants you to know is this, is that he's created it and he very much wants to bring you into that which he's created for you. And that, that's always been just a, an affirming passage because he's created something out there for me and he really wants to bring me to it. Now, in uh, Psalm 37, verse 23, another great passage, and let me just read it to you, Psalm 37 and 23. This is what we read. It says, the steps of a good man or a righteous man, it might be better translated, are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. So if, if you're doing your best to live all out for the Lord and you really want his will, you desire his will, I got some good news for you. He's not trying to trip you up. He's not trying to somehow, you know, tease you with something so that you get frustrated and aggravated. The Bible says that the steps of the righteous are ordered and we should delight in them. And we need to begin to believe that if we're really seeking God and we really want his will, that God, even when we don't know it, is leading us along in order to bring us to that good place. Amen? Amen. Now, as he's doing that in your life and in my life, and even imperceptibly, you know, we just sometimes, we just get up in the morning and we just do our thing. We get up, go to work, go through our day, and we don't feel very ordered, do we? I, I mean, even for me, I don't, I don't always feel ordered by the Lord. But yet he is ordering my steps. But, but how do I know in that ordering when he's opening a door or, or, or when he's shutting something down? How do I know? And, and so I, I just put out a couple things. These are, these are just simply things I have come to understand about open doors, what you need to know about open doors. And let's just, let's just have this guy. We can name him anything. We'll just, we'll just name him, uh, you know, John Q. Public. And, uh, and, and John is a guy who, who wants to follow the will of God. He says that he loves the Lord, and he really wants to make sure that he's going through the right doors in order to get to that good place. And he says, he comes to me, let's say, I'm I'm pastoring John Q. Public, and he sets up an appointment, he comes to visit with me, and he says, Pastor, I've got these things before me, I think God's opening a door. Uh, How do I know if this is really God or not? How do I know if if this is something I ought to do? Well, I would share with him these uh, four things, and you may want to write them down. It'll spare you a counseling appointment if you'll just listen to me right now. Number one, an open door, number one, is a God-given, underline God-given opportunity. 2 Corinthians 2.12, 
And again, I'm going to be reading some passages. I don't normally read this many. But uh, for the sake of understanding, I want to do that. It says, Paul writes, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. A door was opened by the Lord. Um, Now, let's say John's with me and he looks at me and he says, Pastor, you've got to understand, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity that's been presented to me. It's just got to be God. I'm going to look at him and this is what I'm going to say. It could well be. But I've had timeshare salesmen look at me and tell me that I had a once in a lifetime opportunity that was before me. Just because there's a once in, or what someone says is a once in a lifetime opportunity before you doesn't mean it's a God opportunity for you. Every opportunity does not mean it's a God opportunity. Can you say amen? Come on now. I mean, you'll have lots of opportunities. And an open door can come to you, but, but the key is, is you've got to know this is a God opportunity. Usually, it is an opportunity that you could not have generated just by your own conniving, just by your own talent, just by your own skill, or just by a connection. I'm not saying God can't use those. Please understand me. God can do anything. But a God door, usually an open door, is something that comes when God says, I want you to know that I'm opening this door for you, not because you're all that, not because you know so-and-so, not because you're able to put together this and this and schmooze. I'm opening the door so you'll know it's me. Amen. You've got to get that under your... Under your your brain, all right? It's a God-given. Everyone say, God-given. God-given opportunity. Number two, it is for the work of the kingdom. He opens up doors in order that his kingdom, or even the ministry, we might say, go forward. Now listen, an open door may prosper you, an open door might bless you, but its ultimate purpose is for you to do the work of the kingdom. Now, let's just go back to our our man here who says, wow, God, God opened this door for me and I'm going to get a pay raise. It must be God. Well, it may be. And that would be wonderful that you would be blessed and you would prosper. But you need to remember that you are there for purposes beyond the temporal. You are there for something more than just the dollars. You are there for kingdom assignment. Now, I believe when you're in kingdom assignment, God does prosper you. But just because you get the raise doesn't necessarily mean that's God's will. I've had people look at me and say, well, you know, it must be God. If I'm going to get more money, it must be God. Really? Really? Ah, that's not how it works all of the time. Number three. An open door is a place of influence. Acts 14 27, Acts 14, 27. Listen to this. It says, Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So here we have John Q. Public again. He not only gets a pay raise, but then he says, I get a promotion. I get a promotion. So, therefore, it must be God. And again, it well could be the Lord. But this is what you have to ask yourself. By, by walking through this door, am I on kingdom assignment? 
And do I understand that my influence is going to be used for the work of the kingdom? Nehemiah got promoted. Nehemiah had influence, but he used that influence in order to accomplish kingdom purpose in building the wall back in Jerusalem. Joseph. Joseph, you you all know the story of Joseph. Isn't that the most fascinating story? It's amazing how a guy can go down, 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 down in order to go up. How many of you know there were some open doors going down? I know when that prison door opened, you wouldn't have thought that was God. But nonetheless, that's what God used in order to get him up. And when God raised him up and put him in this position of great wealth and great influence, he understood that he was there in order to do kingdom purpose. So listen to me. If your promotion is going to ruin your marriage, is that God? If your promotion somehow tanks your family or your fellowship, I submit to you it might not be an open door. It might be a detour. I've watched people talk about open doors and it takes them out of the house of God forever. Why would God do that? Why? I just don't think it would be the Lord. So so you've got to understand as you're looking at open doors, you've got to ask yourself, am I going to be on kingdom assignment and will my kingdom priorities be able to stay intact in order to do the work of the ministry that he's putting me in in this particular uh, uh, aspect? Number four, and this is the one that you won't say amen to, but it's still the truth. It always has adversaries waiting for you. Now, if you don't believe that, I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Listen to this. This is what Paul says. I read this and I just went, oh, sweet Jesus. It says, for a great and effective door has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Wow. God opens a door. And the devil greets you. How about that? I'll say it again. God opens the door and Satan says, welcome. Is that not interesting? You need to understand that if God opens the door, don't be surprised to find that the enemy will be there trying to keep you from going through that door, discouraging you as you walk through that door and telling you that that really wasn't your door. I often tell people when they have two choices, they'll come in to me sometimes and they'll say, Pastor, I have this choice or I have this choice and I'm going to have to make a choice and I'm wanting to know the will of God and are there any things you can tell me? And lots of times we'll go through, you know, all that God might be saying, but I will always look at them and say this. It doesn't matter which one you ultimately decide to do, you need to know right now. The adversary will be on your shoulder, whispering in your ear, telling you that you should have done the other one. You can just count on it. That's how he works. Always wanting to keep you double-minded. Always wanting to keep you confused and stirred up. An open door is not always an easy door. There can be challenges. I, I, I just use the verse. You remember the verse that Jesus said that, uh, that uh, broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life? You need to understand that God's doors are not always easy. Sometimes they're narrow. Sometimes, sometimes it, it doesn't seem looking at it like that could be the Lord. And sometimes Satan opens things up that look mighty fine, mighty easy, solve a lot of initial problems. You just need to keep in mind as you're evaluating your life and things that are before you, 
that, that as you make these decisions, uh, God will open doors for you. But just make sure that you're hearing from him as you walk through it. Now, let me share some things with you about closed doors. What you need to know about a closed door. Number one, they don't feel nearly as good. Anybody ever had a closed door in their life? I mean, I know. I mean, just when God just went, nope. You know what's really hard about a closed door? This is just what I found. It probably doesn't work this way in your life. But, you know, you have an opportunity that's in front of you, and you start to pray about it, and then you get emotionally connected to that opportunity. But you know enough to pray, oh, God, if it's your will, open it. If not, close it. Because we know enough to do that, don't we? And, and so what happens is God says, okay. And then we go, oh, man, I can't believe this. He closed the door. Isn't that funny? I mean, really, you start laughing because we've all done that. Because we've got emotionally invested in what that opportunity may be, and yet we know enough to know we ought to pray, you know, about whether or not this is a closed or open door. But doggone it, when that thing shuts, it doesn't feel nearly as good. And we'll do that all the time. We'll say, God, open this door or close this door. I just want your will to be done, sir. And then he closes it, and we go, ah! We get mad. Why? Because you really wanted it to be an open door. But you thought you could fake God out with your prayer. He said, I'm going to pray real good, though. I'm going to tell God I'll, I'll, I'll accept it either way. And then he shuts it, and then, well, he knew that anyway. So, You see, God can close doors. Listen to me. When you got bypassed for the raise, it may well have been God closed the door. Now, I know you're irritated, but who knows? Maybe God closed the door. Maybe when you got bypassed for the promotion, when everything looked like it should have been yours. Maybe God closed the door. Maybe. Really? Yeah. But how does that feel? It doesn't feel always great, does it? I mean, sometimes, listen to me, God will stop a relationship. Well, you've been praying open or close the door to that thing, and he closed it. And now you're mad at him, or the person, or whoever. You want this job, it's the perfect job. And you finally get the job, or, or you, you, you get an interview, and, and, and they start talking to you, and you get invested, and you pray, oh God, if it's an open or closed door, and God closes it, and you're irritated. Or how about, or how about when, he, when he lets you go? God's closing doors. Some of our struggles are simply us trying to yank, tug, and pull at a closed door. And we've got to realize that if the steps of the righteous are ordered, then somehow or another, in the scenario that we're facing, even though it didn't work out according to our natural mind, God is doing something here in order to keep us where we need to be. So just know right now, when God closes the door, isn't that true, honey? We have found out, you know, when God closes the door, it just doesn't feel good. But it's his door to close. Number two, you need to realize it is for your best interest and God's purpose. God shuts doors because he loves you too much at times to let you have your way. You know what's really great about God is that God can, can do things in your life 
that is for your best interest, your ultimate best interest. He can do things in your life where he's actually looking out for you in the long run, despite the fact that it makes you irritated and aggravated. And the great thing about God is, is that he doesn't have to care about how you feel because there's no repercussion on him. You can whine, cry, kick, stomp, or do whatever you want to do, and there's just no repercussion. I mean, how many of you, now you think about this, how many of you have maybe prayed about something an opportunity, something came your way, you prayed about it, and you went ahead and you made the decision and you embraced it, you walked through the door, you took it, or whatever the case may be, and ultimately what happened was you grabbed a hold of something that you probably ought not have grabbed hold of and it probably wasn't the will of God, to be real honest with you. Anybody but me ever done that? You ever buy anything that later you regretted? I bought a jet ski one time. And uh, I wanted it. I mean, I didn't, you know, I, yeah, I, did you pray about it? Yeah, I prayed about it. Oh, Lord, thank you for bringing this jet ski across my path. Thank you, Lord. I, 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 you know, I was just looking down the paper and my eyes fell upon it right there. And obviously you were leading me. And, 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 and you know what? I, it's, it's a funny story because there came a moment I had to sell it in order to pay, to pay for Kaylin's, uh, when she was born, it was the hospital bill. In order, in order to get Kaylin out of the hospital to pay the bill, I had to sell the jet ski. No. Um, that's not true. Um, but it was, it's a funny story because that jet ski was just, it was my, it, what they used to call the albatross around your neck. I couldn't get rid of that jet ski. And I kept going to the Lord saying, Lord, help me sell the jet ski. Help me sell the jet ski. And it wasn't going anywhere until the Lord spoke to me one day. And he said, I want you to be so sick of that jet ski because you wanted it and I gave it to you, but it really wasn't my will. And I don't want you ever to forget that. And once I repented... For doing something that was outside of the heart of God, that thing sold then. He let me get rid of that. But you see, that was for my best interest. I remember one time, this is years ago when I still pastored in a denomination. I, I had an opportunity. There was an, op, there was an open door to go to California. We were in Ohio at the time, and an opportunity came for me to go to the Bay Area, Oakland, California. And so... Did I pray about it? Certainly I prayed about it. Oh, Lord, thank you for this open door that's before me. How could it not be you? Well, it's a raise. It's a, it's a greater facility. It's this. It's that. How, how could it not be you? Oh, thank you, Lord, for bringing this my direction. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I even remember along the way, now, not at the time, but now I can see as I evaluate it, there were moments God was trying to get my attention to tell me, don't do that. But the whole time he was trying to tell me, don't do that, I was convinced it was the enemy, so I just rebuked the enemy. Because I was convinced that's God. No, it wasn't. It was just what I wanted. And so what did he do? Well, he let me go to California. I was just... I was just headstrong to do it, so I got to do it. And we weren't there six weeks before I looked at Trace. We were, we were going down the interstate there in Northern California. And it was almost like we had this epiphany. We have these every now and then together at the same moment. And we looked at each other and said, we have made the mistake of our lives. And we weren't even six weeks into the deal. You say, well, what happens if you do something like that? You fall on Romans 8.28 that somehow God will cause all things to work together for good 
because you love him and are called according to a purpose. I'm not saying it was easy and he kept me from all of the other traumas and challenges. And there were a lot of good things that ended up happening in that scenario. But I'm just here to declare to you, he will, he will let you walk headstrong through a door he's trying to close and he'll let you enjoy all the repercussions of it. So next time, you'll just take a little more time finding out what his will actually is in your life. Number three, it keeps you on target for his greater purpose. It keeps you on target for his greater purpose. I have often said that the shortest path between two points is what they call in math what? A straight line, absolutely. God wants your life to be a straight line from where you are right now to his will. He would very much like for that to be a straight line for you to get there as easily and as quickly as possible. And if he can keep you on target and shut a few doors of detours along the way, he can get you to his will much faster. In fact, this is imagine right now. Here's one monitor. There's another monitor. This is where I am. That's the will of God. This is this is what he would like to happen in your life. He, he doesn't mind you doing this. Shaking a doorknob? No. Shaking a door? No. That, no. Okay, I better keep walking. Is this God? No, that wasn't God. That's a closed door there. Whoop, that's a closed door there too. What about this door? No, no. What about this door? Until finally, he gets you to his will. He's got no problem with you shaking a few doorknobs, praying, having opportunity come your way considering whether that's the will of God. He has no problem. In fact, he will allow those things in your life in order that you can train your senses, as it says in Hebrews 5.14, to discern good and evil. He will train you along the way to help you understand how he leads you and speaks to you and how he wants to get through to you. And you'll find yourself, if you'll let him do it, getting to his will in a much straighter fashion. But this is what most of us do when it comes to the will of God. Wasn't I just here? Hmm. Sure spent a lot of time wandering around. And you'll learn a little bit more. How about this? Learn a little bit more. And then you'll do it again. This is, I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm giving you a picture of people's lives right now. Wasn't I just here? Wasn't I just here? Okay, understand God wants you in his will as quickly as possible, but we're going to have to get a hold of open and closed doors. And this is what I'm going to leave. I can't spend a lot of time on this last point, but you can go home and you can study this all out for yourself because there's a lot to it. But this is the key. Literally, the Bible says this. There is a key to unlocking open doors. In fact, it's not your key so much as it's his key. And he says it's the key of David. Isn't that an interesting phrase? It's the key of David, which opens things that no man can shut, and it will close things that no man can open. The key of David. And I, I read that, and I said, Lord, help me understand what the key of David is. And you know what? As you look at David's life, there are certain aspects of his life that give us indicators of how God leads you from obscure places on the other side of the track where no one even knows you're there and you're just doing what you were told to do, how he leads you ultimately 
to have influence, position, and authority in the kingdom. That's the story of David. You remember David was the least in his house of Jesse. In fact, there was such a dysfunctional family that when his dad heard that the prophet was coming, for whatever reason, David was still sent out to tend the sheep. And so the prophet Samuel comes along, and he comes to the house of Jesse, and he declares that he's there to anoint the next king of Israel. And so Jesse brings out all of his his sons, and they were sharp, they looked good, they would certainly qualify by the flesh. And Samuel goes down the line, he looks at all of the boys as they're standing there before him, and he finally gets to the end and he shakes his head and he says, nope, the next king isn't here. But the Lord sent me here, so there must be another son in this house. And Jesse says, well, I do have another boy. He's not much, just a little kid. All he's good for is watching the sheep out on the back 40 there. And uh, if you really think it's him, I'll call him in. And Samuel said, call him in. And they called in David. And Samuel looked at him and he said, he's the one. He's the one. And so there are certain things, as the prophet declares over him, that he would be of great influence and, and, and he would be of position and, and God would use him greatly. And listen to me, David, despite all of David's frailties and even his sins and mistakes and all the other things we could point out, Uh, to David's dysfunctionality, David is still used as the imagery of what the Messiah and his kingdom would be like. And there are just several things I just want to mention to you. There may be more. But the key of David, this is what I believe, the key of David is understanding some of the things that David got under his belt in order that God could open doors for him that no man could shut. And that he would shut doors that no man could. Could open. And again, David's life was a life that was interesting because he didn't go from the sheep field straight to kingship. He had a few interesting curves and turns in his life, but those curves and turns in his life were things that were keys that enabled him ultimately to get to the place where God could grant him that wonderful place of opportunity that he had to give godly influence to all of Israel. Now, I'm just going to give you a quick five here. Write them down. I'm not taking long on this. Number one. Number one. He believed his promise despite his surroundings. Write that down. If you want to understand the key of David and how doors get unlocked for you, you've got to believe your promise despite your surroundings. You can't get torn out of the frame every time God closes a door on you. You, 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 you can't get in upheaval every time it just doesn't go perfectly like you thought it should. If your steps are ordered, you're seeking God, he's in it somehow. You've got, to, you've got to keep believing your promise no matter what's going on in your life. David, listen to me. David had a promise from God. Think about this for just a moment. He had a promise from God. God gave him a great opportunity by slaying Goliath. When Goliath was slayed, His uh, name was sung by the women of all Israel. They would sing, you know, Saul Saul has slain his thousands, David has slain tens of thousands. And they would sing the songs of David. And so Saul brought David into the palace in order to serve and to minister and to be more or less his right-hand man. And can you not think for just a moment that David probably in his mind was saying to himself, yeah, I got that personal prophecy from Samuel. The prophet spoke over me and said, I'd be king one day and look at me. I took down Goliath, got favor with Saul. He brought me into the palace and I'm just a hair's breadth away from stepping into my destiny. But little did he know 
that there would be jealousy and insecurity that would arise in Saul. He would eventually get chased out of the palace and he would have to go to the caves of Adullam. And there, for literally almost two decades, he would have to hide out as, as a fugitive from the hand of the man who originally said he was the man. And all the time he was in Adullam. And believe me, it was not a pleasant place. It was a cave with people who were just whiny, complaining, depressing, discouraged people. And yet in the midst of his atmosphere, he had to keep believing his promise despite his surroundings. And if you've got a promise in God, I don't care where you are at this moment, you've got to keep believing that God can take you from where you are to where he wants you, and he can do it just that fast if he decides to open the door. But if you walk in doubt and unbelief, and if you're just complaining and critical, why would he give you destiny? Why? So you can now cause the whole kingdom to be critical. Now, wouldn't that be valuable? No. He's teaching you some things at that particular moment in order that you can be fashioned for that destiny. But that's the key of David. You've got to believe your promise despite your surroundings. Number two, he practiced Number two, practice patience. There is a patience. You know, the timing of God is always an interesting thing to me. We always think that we're running out of time. Isn't that amazing? That's never a thought in God's mind. You know why? Because time doesn't affect him. When you're an eternal being, time means nothing. I mean, whenever the past was, he was. He was before the past. I mean, you can't, even, you can't even describe God in terms of time. And so when God looks at a situation, he's not looking at the speed at which we humans think things need to happen, but he looks at it concerning his ways and will and what ultimately will work best for kingdom purpose and the glory of God himself. That's how he looks at things. So time is not a feature for him. That's why he says a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. So if God ever speaks to you and says, I'm going to do something in a week, keep that in mind. His week may be a tad longer. But David could practice patience. He had the capacity to be able to say, God spoke this. I'm serving him. I'm loving him. I'm seeking him. I want him. I'm, I'm doing everything I know to do. I, I can practice a little patience here. I, 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 you know, God, God can wait until I am 90 plus years old, if he so desires, and he can open a door and put me in that door and in one week cause me to be more fruitful in one week than I was the previous 90 years. You believe that? Sure. Sure. I understand in our mind we're saying, well, I would have had all that time. I could have worked for you, Lord. I mean, you're just wasting time. No, God's not wasting time. He's finding the appropriate moment to open the door and wanting to see if you'll practice patience. Number three, he honored authority. I can't believe somebody who's throwing spears at him, he could honor still. That's really hard to comprehend. And we've taught this through the years, and I'm not going to belabor the point, but there was something in him that still had the capacity, despite his hurts, his wounds, and all the things that came his way, he had the capacity to still say, Lord, I understand how you work in this. And so I'm going to go ahead and keep on honoring. And I'm sure he had to overcome a lot of feeling in that regard. 
I know just how it's affected me in my life. There's been feelings I've had to overcome. But truth of the matter is, if you see God in that, God has, has an ability to move in that in such a way that he can open doors and he can do things that he never thought that you never thought possible and and that was a part of the key he was he was noted for that in his relationship with Saul in fact the bible tells us that there was a moment he could kill Saul instead of killing him he just he shaved off just a piece of his clothing and then later god convicted him over that have mercy shave his clothing i'd have shaved his head that's what but the lord convicted him and he repented even of that number Four, he refused to quit on God. That's a, key, that's a key to open doors is just refusing to quit on the Lord. Refusing to throw in the towel. Refusing to say, I give up. There's so many folks that they'll make their decisions and they'll pray their prayers. And uh, they'll make the confession and they'll start off. And then they'll, they'll get hit by the world. And then they quit on God. It, it's just too tough. Maybe the, their family made fun of them or their friends gave them a bad time or they ran into somebody with a religious spirit on them and they tried to talk them out of their encounter or their experience with God. And they, 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 they start giving up and they start quitting. You know, I understand we, we function under grace and there's the power of God and there's encouragement. But you, can I, come on folks, we've got to just say we're not going to quit. We just can't quit on God. Don't quit. Just don't throw in the towel and give up. Come on. I mean, I mean, you gave the enemy how many years? Give God some time. Don't quit on him. Get tenacious. Get some perseverance in you. I mean, God, God likes to see that every now and then. Let's persevere. And uh, he can bless that. And it's a key to open doors. A lot of people who get open doors are the ones that just didn't quit. They didn't give up. They didn't throw in the towel and they didn't walk out. And, but they'll stand around and go, why does everybody else get an open door? Answer, they didn't quit. They were there when it took place. So that's a key, I believe, to David as well. And then number five, I put down here, being faithful in the small things. David is a perfect example of being faithful in the small things. Dad told him to go out and watch sheep. He went out and watched sheep. While he was out watching sheep, a bear and a lion would show up to try to devour his father's livestock. And it was there that he learned how to throw a rock with a sling, and he killed a lion, and he killed a bear. And he's just faithful doing that, probably for years. Until that moment came when brothers were off on the battlefield, and he had to take them lunch. Something really small. Can you imagine something as menial as, here, go take lunch to your brothers? And getting a lunch pack that day and thinking, is that all I'm good for? Is All I'm good for is being, you know, just sort of the, the waiter for my brothers, and I'm going to go give them lunch. And little did he know, as... He was going to give them lunch that that would be the day that the whole nation of Israel would know him forever. Some of you right now may be doing some menial things in your life. Maybe you're, maybe you're the waiter or the waitress. Maybe, maybe you're the one that just files away the stuff for the big boss in the other room. Maybe you're the one that, that is in obscurity and no one knows you and you're doing things that you say to yourself, you know what, I'm smarter than this. I feel like I've got more destiny than this. I feel like there's more in me than what I'm doing right now, but uh, this is all that's before me. I'm telling you, you never know when you'll just be serving lunch and God will use that one moment for the whole nation to hear of you. You never know. Now, if you quit, you're right, you'll never know. But if you're faithful in those small things, it's amazing 
what God can begin to do. Just pulling people out from obscure places, putting them in a place where suddenly he can open a door and he can say, walk on through it. And at that particular moment, everyone knows that open door was God. I don't know what kind of door you want. I want a God door. I've got lots of doors that I could probably walk through. I want a God door. And when he gives us a God door, I guarantee you he will give you all the provision, all that is necessary for you to be successful when you walk through that. I'm here to tell you right now, there is a door to our city that God's going to open. And one of these days, when he opens that door, we're going to get to walk through that thing. Yes, we will. But we're going to have to keep the key of David in our hand. Maybe you'll need to read some more about David and let the Lord speak to you about that. But in his life, I'm here to tell you, God will use that to open doors. Amen. Stand with me, will you? Thank you, Lord. You know, we've been talking about these last weeks about the church and what Jesus would say to the church. And this is what he's saying through Philadelphia to us. He's saying that the church ought to be the model of, of, of how God opens and closes doors and how we move through it. And that as we're waiting for those open doors to be sure we're doing everything that the Lord commended the Philadelphians for doing. He said so many things. He said, I know you're, you're holding fast too. You're doing what needs to be done as well. You're holding the key of David. Keep holding it. And the Lord will come and open a door. He'll do that for us as a people. He will do that for you as an individual. And right now, this is what I'd like for you to do. Right where you're standing right now. If you've kicked a few doors in, if you know right now that maybe there's been a moment in your life like there's been in mine, when you just got it in your craw and into your mind that you were going to blast through a door because that's just what you wanted to do, then would you take this moment and, and let's close those doors now and make sure all of the past is cleaned up in order that we can walk from this point on in a straight line to destiny. I'm going to ask you right now, right where you are, I cannot do this for you, but you can do this. You need to say to the Lord, and I am so convinced, I've become more convinced than ever, it's not being sorry that you just did what you did. It's repenting for what took place. I know what some of you will say. You'll say, well, I was just trying to be obedient. I was just trying to do the will of God. Well, I, I'm not suggesting that maybe your motive wasn't trying to do what was right, but your action despite your motive, was improper. And even in an action that you think is good and religious and spiritual, let me tell you, Saul sacrificed animals unto the Lord doing something spiritual, and Samuel looked at him and said, you're practicing witchcraft. Isn't that amazing? He was doing something spiritual that he saw the priest do, but he wasn't supposed to be doing that, and Samuel said, that's witchcraft. Wow, isn't that amazing? See, that's why, the, that's why the church doesn't get to where it needs to go. It's because we're all doing spiritual stuff, but we're doing it wrong. Out of rebellion. Because that's just what we want. And we've got to understand, man, God's serious about this stuff. 
You can't just go, you know, Saul, he went out and he was told to utterly destroy, but he didn't utterly destroy, but he kept the best, the best animals. And so when the prophet showed up and looked at him and said, why didn't you do what God said for you to do? Saul's answer was, well, I kept them all so we could have great stuff to sacrifice. Well, that sounds real spiritual, doesn't it? God said it's rebellion. And I'm just, I'm just telling you, it's not, it's not to cause you to have all these guilties jump on you, but we have, we have created an atmosphere, even within our American church culture, that we all just do what we want to do and say, God bless it. And we'll just, we'll just tack on the end of all of our statements. I believe it's God. It's amazing how, how double-minded God is. Because I've heard people say, this is God. Well, no, that wasn't God. This is God. This is God. You know, all right, I understand we're all learning along the way. But did you ever repent for pulling his name in that foolishness? I had to repent. I went to Oakland, California to preach the gospel and win people to Jesus. I mean, that's, that's pretty spiritual, is it not? You don't, it's not spiritual. I think it's pretty spiritual. But yet when you... How many of you know that's still rebellion? Ouch. Ouch. I don't know. Well, you need to know because once you repent and you can close that chapter and that door, you're ready to move to destiny, to destiny, to destiny. You can do all kinds of spiritual things, but if you're not walking through the doors and doing what God asks of you to do, folks, you're going to have struggles. I don't care how much you drag his name into it. It's going to be a struggle. Right now, where you are, listen to me, you need to right now before God close your eyes and you need to allow the Holy Spirit to bring up to you all those times because we've all got them. Amen? Amen. Come on now. Amen? We've all got them. Don't, you can play games, man. God knows. I'm just telling you, man. He knows. And you need to right now say, Lord, I never, you may need to say something like this. I never thought of that before. I, to be honest with you, that's a new thought that Pastor shared today. But you know what? That's the word. And you know what? I want, I want my past to be my past. So right now, Lord, I repent from that time that I just kicked that door down and I drug you into it. I repent from that in the name of Jesus. I'm just not sorry that I did it, but Lord, I changed my mind about that and I agree with you. Right now, Lord, I think about that time. I, I decided I wanted what I wanted, and I just drug you into it, and I said, well, that's the Lord. The Lord's been talking to me, and truth is, I don't know that you really were talking to me about that. And I repent from that right now. Because I really do want you, Lord. Come on now, just repent. I, I'm not saying all of life is like that. God's grace overshadows a lot of ignorance and immaturity. I understand that too. Just because you're ignorant and immature, I understand God will overshadow and he allows us room to grow. But some of us, we just plain old kind of knew what we were doing and just, boom, kick that thing in. I'm going through it. Hallelujah. God opened the door for me. Poof. Come on now. Close that and position yourself for greatness now. Position yourself for greatness. We've all done it. But now you've got to repent. Are you doing that right now? Come on now, do it. I'm going to give you just another minute. Just another minute. If you can think of the circumstance, then you just might say, Lord, this was the circumstance. If you know somewhere back there you did that and don't know the details, just say, Lord, I don't remember now all the details, but generally I remember this is what I did and that was wrong. Because I'm going to pray right now in just a moment that God will open doors for you 
Because his heart is that you be promoted and you have influence. His heart really is that you be effective in his kingdom. That you have opportunity to reach people. To do things that can only be accomplished by him and through him. He really wants that. And I, I believe that he can take you from your obscure place. If you're willing to walk it out with him. With the key of David in your hand. And bring you into a future. That can, that can, really, that can make you, yes even you, a world changer. There's some of you right now, even in this congregation, you're somewhat obscure. But you are a candidate to be a world changer. That may be hard for you to believe right now, but I'm telling you, God can do that. I've seen him do it. Are you ready to pray and you're ready to believe with me? We've got our past under the blood. He's forgiven us. We repented. We've agreed with him. We're ready to go forward. Amen. Everyone after me, say, in the name of Jesus, I commit before you, O oh God, an obedient life. I believe you're ordering my steps. I believe I'm your workmanship. And you've created good works beforehand that I could walk in them. I commit to you now to go through your doors. I am happy when you open doors and I am happy when you close doors because I want your door. I want your will. And I embrace that now in my life in the name of Jesus. I believe I have a promise. I believe that promise is great. I will not be detoured, discouraged in any way, shape, or form from hanging on to that promise. You will be true to your word in my life. I lay hold of the key of David and believe it will unlock my future. Thank you, Lord, that I can trust you completely. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on now, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Come on, praise Him for your future. Praise Him for your destiny. Come on now, bless the Lord for His promises in your life that are coming to pass. Yes. Hallelujah! Praise God. Praise God. Lord, bless your people now. Lord, I just speak a blessing over them as they go out this week. And I'm sure there'll be some doors that will be before them. But I pray now, Lord, that they will know beyond a shadow of a doubt whether it be you or not. Lord, give them, grant to them now that supernatural dimension they need to discern it. Lord, we can, we can do some practical things, but we still need that supernatural dimension of you talking to us and us understanding what's before us. So, Lord, may that be dispensed upon the congregation, I pray, in the name of Jesus, and cause it to be a great week this week in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Now, love each other. Encourage one another.
and your release. And we'll see you Wednesday, Wednesday night now. Remember.